Hi, I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And I'm Adam Nielsen. And this is track walking. Not 10 tenths, track walking. Yeah. <laughs> I just want you to know, I've been guested on many shows and almost all of them are dead now. So, so. literally two episodes, well, maybe three by the time this comes out. Three <laughs> Depends if you guys put out a show since you, you know. I mean, we've done two weeks in a row. We probably should do to skip one. Is you, you were very hurt and sad that you had not been on this episode. So you lashed out a little bit, maybe by showing that you have destroyed every car podcast you've been on, except for Slip Angle. Oh, that's right. They they do, and Ross Bentley. He's kind of hit or miss, but I've been there too. Yeah, that's fair. Shoot. Although full disclosure, Slip Angle has I, I don't want to say they've been disappointing me lately. Ooh. But the reason Ooh. I the reason I almost started listening to Ten Tenths is because I was running out of things to listen to. I wouldn't and, recommend uh, switching to us. It's, well, it's total, no, it's not like it was it's drivel. To you, if, it's total garbage. I mean, if you, right. you want to listen to two other white guys talk for two and a half hours. <laughs> About Honestly, Super that's the thing that scared about, me away from it. And it about like, bucket I nuggets. Should. Yeah, I don't want to listen for. I don't listen to anything for that long. I don't know how we do it, and it's I don't like, know why people keep listening to it's it. It's like the Dances with Wolves of podcasts. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not even mad that, about that. That might be the quickest title we've ever just generated <laughs> in a podcast. I I don't see how that can't be. The, the title now oh man 10 tenths the, <laughs> sorry anyway so adam hi hi should we open this thing up i i don't i didn't come prepared with an opener i'm sorry no. um so this is adam nielsen everybody co-host formerly co-co-host of 10 tenths yeah but there used to be three of us there used to be three i'll be One honest died i think though I'll be honest, I didn't think the show was going to continue. I didn't either. And I am shocked because I remember listening to you guys before that. And Robbie was the quiet one. I'm like, Robbie doesn't talk. And Adam seems super not to care if this thing goes on. Like, they're just going to disappear and it's over. (laughs) And all of a sudden, Robbie came out with the personality and opinions and look at him go. Yeah, now he's a real jerk. Well, he doesn't like wagons. That's that's really his biggest character flaw, in my opinion. I mean, wagons, hatches, Volkswagen and Audi products. I mean, the list just goes on and on of things that he doesn't like, really for no reason. Well, I can't say he's wrong about the whole VAG thing. Come on, now. Don't be that way. I just... I want Team Scott with us. Sorry. I figured. Actually, I'm kind of on Team Scott, too, but that's not the point. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> see now you're all sheepish once you're actually here look at you no no they're garbage cars and i know that that doesn't stop me from loving them yeah. that's kind of been i get it the reoccurring theme in my life I've, really i've wanted an audi wagon like the rs6 makes my knees weak 
but I would never, I don't think I'd be able to own one if it was given to me. My closest uh, geographically grid life compadre owns one of those. It's his, that's his daily. Is it so uh, scary? Is it a gentleman <laughs> who owns a lot of white expensive cars? And now a red one. I saw that. Yeah. Jeremy. <laughs> no, this is, this is coming from the, Mer, you know, the guy who took his Mercedes engine out and I look at the Audis and I'm like, no, no, I, I really, I applaud you for the, true. for the R 63. That was an undertaking and a half. It's really impressive. I mean, he I had, did it. I had for no the choice. Content. That's fair. <laughs> There's somebody here in, in the Des Moines area. I see it every once in a while. I've seen him twice at the zoo. Uh, who has one of those, an AMG, no, no less. And I'm just like, I can't believe that they appear to just like drive it. That's... Yeah. Well, when they work, they're fantastic, right? Like they're, they're amazing cars when they work. It's just like the, like the Audis being able to drive them without a sense of fear all the time is the big thing. So I think the less you know about cars, the more you'll enjoy them. I can't imagine that's a car that a person accidentally owns, though. Boy, I, yeah, but it, it's if, like a if prestige it were a car, brand though. other than Mercedes Benz, I might agree with you. But I could totally see somebody with a big checkbook just being able to say, "Yeah, that's about the size I want. It can fit what I want in it. Yeah, that's the expensive model. Yeah, I'll do that and not have another thought about it." If it was new, sure, but it's not. No. Somebody's somebody has financially made the decision to continue owning that. Yeah. Yeah. Mercedes people are weird though. You'll just find people who like bought one and like have owned it for eight, 10, 12 years and bring it to the dealer twice a year to get fixed. And they just, they don't care what it costs to fix it. They just pay it. And when it's 14 years old, they'll buy a new one. And those are kind of the the bread and butter of a lot of those, especially middle America Mercedes dealers are those people who just don't think about the money aspect of buying those cars. They're just like, I'll just going to buy whatever the best one is and I'll let you guys, you know, fix whatever it is and then it'll be good. I'm not that guy, but I want to be somebody's butler with that kind of a, financial backing i want to work for that person i don't care what it costs take care of it yes I don't sir think you do you'd be annoyed oh for sure but you know put put enough zeros on the end of it like i'll, I'll suck it up so adam you yeah. speaking of weird cars like you're not immune okay. to things like you used to actually drive kind of competitively at least in yeah i, cone I dodger. did some real serious autocrossing uh i've never never competed in a nationals level event but i own a car that has a nationals pedigree uh and i used to drive it a lot like 20 or 30 events a year which is really hard to do in iowa why what do you mean why why, why? Yeah, like like why what, were you why? a serious autocrosser Oh, like, because the closest <laughs> yeah. track is hours and hours away, and I don't own like a tow rig. All right. So it was autocrossing, and then that just kind of got out of hand really quickly. And, and what car is this? So, <laughs> I have uh, a 1984 Dodge Omni GLH. Oh. 
We sh- how, so are we 80, fr- 84 how are we not friends the already? First year of GLH, which means it's not the turbo model before everyone gets too excited. I knew Seth would. Oh, dude, that's a super out. weird car. It's a super weird car. There's actually less of them than there are Veyrons, which is pretty cool. <laughs> that's a fact I needed to know that's, at some point. I was about to say, every, so, every Omni owner needs to know that. I may so have spent time fact, looking that up. I have actually owned a, a GLH Omni myself, which was a, a turbo model, I assume. A turbo because it was a stage rally car that I bought um, oh, in man. pieces and f- put back together until it was street legal. And then it sat in my yard until it died. Um, and that's uh, many death or many Omnis have met a very similar death. Yeah. And my Mine's dad, well on the way, my dad owned the, a challenger GLHS charger, a charger. Sorry. Charger. GLHS. I, I desperately want one, but they've kind of started to creep up into like the price point where it's not really all that realistic anymore. No. And they, they really weren't that good. I mean, they were I awesome, mean, but they weren't that good. That's that's exactly what I look for in a car. A car that's awesome and also not good. <laughs> Found your home with an Omni. Man. I was about to say, so drive that point home. What other vehicles do you own right now? <laughs> uh so the Omni's been broken for quite a few years. Uh the S I have an S10, a ninety nine or 2000 i don't remember the second gen the rounder one yeah. uh s10 extreme which means it has that silly lip kit that i love so very much because yeah, i'm a ricer yeah, it does. uh and is lowered two inches from a stock height it's it is the stock height that that truck came as but it's two inches lower than a base model uh and i turbocharged it and drove it for a, almost twenty thousand miles and then i blew it up and that's it's sitting right out, right outside this wall here, with a hole I can put my fist through on the side of the block. I don't know what to do other than laugh. And like I, I don't really have a response for that. And <laughs> you've got a blazer. I have a '99 blazer. I think my S10's a 2001, and the blazer's a '99. And the blazer a- is a four-three, and it's real hot garbage. And I drive it basically two or three times a year because my work allows me to drive my truck to and from home. And so I have no real use for it. And an Odyssey. <laughs> I have a 2007 Honda Odyssey. That's my wife's Texas. Definitely the coolest vehicle you own. I mean, that's your opinion. And you also have a strange love for the Chevy Cobalt. I desperately want to go. So my first car was a Cavalier. Don't shake your head at me. You were the weirdest <laughs> guest we've ever had. <laughs> Not the first person. See, see this that. is why it's fun. You have one guy who does the research and another guy that just does the blind reacts. And that's. So, the Cobalt is a shockingly good handling car. It is. And I really, really want one uh to do track day stuff with if i ever decide that i'm going to start doing that sort of thing again which i'm not convinced i'm gonna and we'll get into that here in a bit because that's the topic i brought with Mm. Ah. yeah that's i actually want to see a cobalt ss like fully prepped for like club tr level or something like that even like ss won't fit in club tr 
So the SS, big. so the Club TR, you have to have yep. uh, less than 1.6 liter, right. or 1.6 or less for boost. What were we talking? We were talking street, or was it street, street? class? Street I think class. it would that be a it. real, the turbo model, I think, would be a real street class ringer. So I want Here you we, to bring a Cobalt SS for that one. I'm going to bring the Neon SRT4, and yes. we're going to go back in time like 20 years, and oh, it's going gosh. to be amazing. There was Don't. a guy who used to run a Cobalt SS up at Hallett. Um, that I knew through some people, and the car was fast. Yes. Like, yeah, proper, they're crazy fast. Proper quick, like, proper good. Twin scroll uh, from the manufacturer. Like, it was pretty cool stuff. GM for a while campaigned one in what became Global Time Attack, yes. but I think at the time was Redline, and it had the right. f- it had a front wing actually. No, 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 no. No, that was that was, that was before the then. That was running at was, the same time. Yeah, so the Cobalt was not in that high a class. I think they had it prepped for what they call street, which is similar to street mod in the grid life world. But it had um, it, it had was the very competitive at a couple tracks. Yeah, yeah. So, so so anyway, we should go back in time. I would love to do that. <laughs> what I support any and all terrible early 2000s car decisions so i moved out of the midwest like 22 years ago and i thought i left so much of this behind me and you guys are dragging up these these american shit boxes that are arguably like okay but no one outside the midwest cares about at all because no matter what there's a better like like a pick a car like that in outside the Midwest where nobody cares about American cars, there's something better. There's a Honda. Version. Are they better though? Yeah. Is the Honda really better than a Cobalt? I mean, literally is everyone it? in the world thinks it is. That doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> what is truth? Um, <laughs> I I recently posted on Instagram because it keeps people keep tagging me in PT Cruiser things, and I I said if somebody gifted me a PT Cruiser GT. I would do stupid things with it. I'll just put that out there. I would That's I a, would absolutely enter that into some sort of time attack. And it would not do well, but it would be awesome. You don't even know how happy I would be to see you in a time attack class. It would, that would make me so happy. It would sound so good. Those they sounded amazing. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> where do we go from here? Yeah, where, yeah. How, how do we pivot this one, Seth? Because Adam has a topic. It's usual. Oh, I, that's I do a little bit. Yeah, yeah, but it sounds like it's too recent, though. I feel like we need to find out why his mother hates him first. I, yeah, like, like, why are you the way that you are? That's that's what we're going for. So, <laughs> I grew up on a drag racing family. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> And Never mind. My, done with this topic. Solved it. My dad loves Pontiacs, so I got the weird cars from him. Oh yeah. Like he, he has a an extensive collection of Pontiac and Internationals. Okay. I so approve of the inter- I approve of the Internationals. We're yeah, cool. that's where I got this from. Like, okay. Uh, my youngest automotive memories are of being driven around in a like a '60s International Travelette, which was like their pickup right uh towing a 62 pontiac tempest tube frame drag car which which is a super fun story it is 
because your dad sold that car how long ago? Tell tell that story. Like so when I turned 12, I started doing the junior drag racing thing. And uh my dad kind of realized that it was too much work to try and drive and uh pit crew. And so he that car kind of went by the wayside and then we moved to a place where drag racing wasn't really that prevalent. And so he sold that car when I was like, I want to say probably 16, maybe 17. So it's been almost, if not over 20 years that that car has been out of our lives completely. Like we didn't, didn't know where, you know, we sold it to a guy in Georgia at the time we were living in Northwest Iowa. Uh, The car just disappeared. And at that time, the internet really wasn't a thing. So we never saw it again. So uh, fast forward to about a year ago, my dad was trying to get back into drag racing and trying to find uh, something that he was interested in. I don't know how he did this, but somehow he came across that car again. I think that he posted in some sort of, uh, drag racing group asking if anybody knew where it was. It's a very distinctive car. Uh, the paint job is absolutely insane. Um, as any like late nineties drag car should have been. And, uh, the guy who we actually sold it to 20 some years ago, still owned it. And it was basically mothballed in his garage. And my dad here about two months ago or so went and, drove down to Georgia and picked it back up again. And so uh, actually Saturday afternoon, I get a phone call from my dad and it's just uh, what I thought at first was loud stack, which I then realized was the race car idling once again, because it didn't run when he got it back. So it is, it is alive and it is ready to be driven. That's that warms my heart. I know I was, I was literally (laughs) going to say heartwarming. Yeah, so when I when I was born, my dad was racing Firebirds, but when I was probably five or six years old, he built his first Tempest, and then that was that was based on a, a factory car, still had like a factory unibody in it. The floor was cut up a little bit to make room for a trans tunnel because those factory of trans axles. Um, and then when I was probably six or seven, he built that tube frame car and put the 62 tempest body on top of it and uh ran it for quite a few years and then flipped it and like literally not like sold it like rolled it at on the racetrack uh and so it got a paint job and got put back together there's one tube in the roll cage that got a little bit bent that like is still that way today and we put a new roof on it and the chassis has been recertified at least twice. And honestly, if you didn't know it was bent, you wouldn't know it is. If you didn't know to look for it, you couldn't see it. So, and I'm sure that it's still more than structurally capable because my dad overbuilt that car pretty, pretty wildly. So. And what did you, did you ever get to drive that car? No. So. When I was junior drag racing, you can race those up until I think you're like at the time. Anyway, I think the rules have changed a little bit, but at the time you could race them up until you were like 18 or so. And when I turned 16, kind of the idea was maybe to move me into a bigger, like a full size door slammer. 
Um, and then my love for rollerblading took over and that kind of went downhill and (laughs) Seth's shaking his head at me again. Uh, and I kind of left the car scene for like almost 10 years and, and just kind of broke a bunch of bones and stuff like that. Met Robbie. Yeah. So all downhill from there. You're Um, telling me. So uh, I think what I find really interesting about that story is like that, that was a car you never got to drive was certainly in the family but like that really seemed to mean a whole lot to you when it came back i'm a lot more sentimental than my dad like if somebody offered my dad he he got it for a pretty good price like he absolutely if it was just a regular car he absolutely could have got it running and made a couple thousand dollars on it pretty quickly honestly um i don't think he's planning on doing that but if somebody offered him like relatively fair market value for it i wouldn't be shocked if he sold it and i probably wouldn't talk to him for like a month honestly but uh yeah i'm very sentimental about stuff which is kind of why i have an omni sitting in my garage still because it's got a story and i just can't let it go um but yeah seeing that car again made me feel like 10 all over you know and what and I mean, I, we've got to assume that that's a good feeling. Otherwise, you know, you you wouldn't bother like trying yeah. to chase so, after it. So now, nowadays, I have a five-year-old kid who is starting to realize that he loves cars too, and so I'm starting to see that same thing that I saw in it when I was that age, and well, maybe a little older because I can still remember it, um, but. So kind of seeing that car again brings me back to those days and um, gets me kind of thinking about and excited for uh, what could come with him, whether that's at a drag strip or a road course or an autocross event or whatever the case may be. Is it the the car itself or is it the hanging out? Like. I mean, I, I think I'm sentimentally attached to that car because of what it meant to me when I was a little kid. That car was the coolest thing in the world when I was, you know, eight to 12 years old. And um, a lot of the people I know today, I probably wouldn't know if it weren't for the things that we did and the places that we went with that car when I was a little kid. And so that's really important to me. Um you know, and, and those are all memories I have, and I don't need the car to in my life to still have those memories, but I like to see it there. It's like a it's it's like a memento. It's a it's a sign of something deeper. Just like uh I mean <clears throat> off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure there's at least three or four framed pictures of that car on the wall in my parents' house. And they've lived in that house for less than two years. So it's not like those are still existing from when I was a little kid. Uh, There is a framed picture of that car on a shelf in my house. Um, I mean, you know, that is, and uh, (laughs) you know, we have a lot of our family pictures involved either that car or our junior dragsters or a mixture thereof. Cause my, my younger sister stepped into junior drag drag racing as well. And I got a little bit faster car and she ended up with my first one. Um, And so there's a, you know, there's a lot of family pictures of all all three of us standing next to all three of our race cars. Um, 
And like, that's what my family did. You know, we didn't go to Disneyland. We went to Amarillo, Texas for a drag race. Like that's what we did. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I've got, well, we've all got kids cause we're all getting to that <laughs> age where everyone we know has, has kids. My kids are adults. Seth, yes. Seth. <laughs> I'm closer to his kids physically than he is right now. Apparently. It's true. Yeah, one of them. Yeah. One of them lives up there by you. Yeah. And that's what I've gathered, but I've, I've always find it kind of, kind of fascinating. That's like, we can like through these younger things that we helped create, like we can help relive like hopefully some of the best parts of our childhood. And like that, that perspective, it's almost like a second youth. It's like all of a sudden you remember all these things and you feel all these things that you had forgotten and hadn't felt for like 20 or 30 years, whatever the lag was. And then all of a sudden, like in, in this like little tiny five-year-old, you're like, Oh yeah. Shit, this is really cool, isn't it? Yeah, I think we become so jaded and desensitized to the cool things that we do every day. Um this year I brought my uh at that time very pregnant wife and five year old to Alpine with us. And you know, I was standing next to Jabay in a place where people can't normal people normal general admission people can't get to uh with my five-year-old standing right in front of me watching uh a pro four buggy jumping over drift cars and laser lights going off and my kid's like just this awe of this look of awe on his face and like realizing like yeah I, i actually do get to do some really really cool unique stuff that like there's no kid in his school who did that this summer. No, no, you know? So, and yeah, shoot. I totally lost the thought. That sucks. No, there's a, there's always a, a little bit of a desire to, to take those things that, that we had our best memories around and do a little bit of recreation of them. Woods. Um, that's probably, in all honesty, that's probably a big reason that I own the house that I own in, uh, in UP, because some of my best childhood memories were like getting all psyched up to do that trip to my parents' cabin in the woods, and that was like that was the the highlight of the year and the best things that we did, and and it was all around that, and I'm there's at least part of me that was trying to recreate that experience for my kids and go yeah then they can have those great memories as well um and i think a lot of us do that with racing right like if we grew up right like i i know the only reason i took my kids to to do circle track stuff is because my dad took me to go watch circle track races and it was loud and the cars crashed and was awesome and so i've taken my kids to half a dozen races just to be like look at this it's awesome and they all come away and they're like yes that is awesome and I think the unique perspective we can gain as fathers is like still from our generation, our age, like boys are still very quickly taught to not display emotion as much. 
and to downplay anything that they think might be cool because showing an interest or showing excitement about something is generally accepted as a weakness. And so, like, whenever we sh- we got excited, like, all of a sudden we just got beat down. Like, Adam, like you said, it's like we got desensitized, but we also got it partially beat out of us by culture and to be able to to basically relive that once we're older and we care less about what culture and other people think like we almost get to enjoy it more as adults because we have i guess the financial ability to actually do and see these things but a little perspective in that man i wish i would have enjoyed it more then but i sure as hell i'm enjoying it now yeah, my my son has really helped me um like think about being more um excited in the moment and uh kind of relishing that ex- that uh a lot more because I mean it's it's easy just to move on to the very next thing and not even think about it. Yep. So you know especially like as fast-paced as a as the average grid life weekend is you know even as a guy who goes to those events and isn't a driver um i still end up running around and doing so many things and not taking a moment to take it all in and and remember that i'm here to have fun and enjoy myself and hang out with my friends and uh make portable hot tubs and uh, you know dumb stuff like that so i don't know i think it's it's yeah that was one of the things i wanted to talk to you guys about was like because you guys all have kids scott i think this was the first year you brought yours to the track uh seth obviously uh you would have have seen my kid at coda (laughs) even if you didn't realize you were seeing her at coda right and you know i I think there's some people who have kids and are reluctant to bring them to the track. And I think that's really, really too bad. Yep. I I, agree. Although it's saying that not all of my kids want to go to the track, right? Like I've got a, you know, I've got a 14 year old at home and I was like, you want to go look at stuff? He's like, absolutely not. I'm like, all right, that's fine. (laughs) That's fine. Fair enough. And that's, and that's his right as well. My five year old doesn't, necessarily get that also wants to so far go with me still thinks dad is cool um that will go some extent i'm yeah it's it's, that it's already slowly going away so hopefully my uh four-month-old daughter will will get get to ride that out a little longer so yeah i i mean i'm always hesitate to give out parenting advice um yeah i would but i'm not I, I'll give it out. I, <laughs> Seth is also like the all-star dad as well. Um, but I think I think it's important to show your kids what is important to you. And too often I hear the excuse, and again, like coming from the church um, background-ish that I have, is that you know, a lot of parents didn't want to bring their kids when they were little because they wanted them to be able to choose, like have the choice later on. But I think what 
people don't realize in, in that instance is that by not bringing them, you are helping them make a choice. And that choice is to not continue to go to church or to not even go or see that's important. Because if kids learn so much by just watching us, and if you don't go and do the things, if you don't spend your time where it's important to you, like they're going to learn it's not actually important to you because you don't spend the time doing this. You don't put your energies into that. So I think you, you have to show it. if it's important to you and it's important to you that your kids know what's important to you, then I, I think you have to, you have to show them. Yeah. And I don't think kids can really get a feel for, for what's, what's passionate about cars until they go to the events. Because if you're just looking at, you know, if my kids are just looking at my car in the driveway and watching me swap wheels before an autocross, Watching me yell at it. Yeah, and, and just the you Getting know those angry and mad. Yeah, yeah, those things. Like you're just under the hood of a car swearing at things. Um and like if they don't see the finished product, then I don't think they ever really understand why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um I know my kids, um until my older kids came and autocrossed with me, which was part of the their driver's training and i've said this before they all had to come to like one or two autocrosses and autocross the car and like understeer and do terrible things just as a handling thing as part of me teaching them to drive but that was they got to go there and and understand why i actually disappeared on weekends to go do that and when they got in the passenger seat and then in the driver's seat they were like cool like i understand what you do and neither one of them wanted to do it, but it really gave them a perspective um, for what I, I had been doing. And of course, my my younger daughter, because she races motorcycles with me, you know, she's the one waking up going, cool, we need to load the bikes. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, but yeah, I think sharing, because motorsports always happens away from the home in general, like you have to bring them somewhere else so that they can see what you're actually doing. Yeah. And, and I think at some point helping them to, or just showing them that like, you know, the end product is cool, but it's like, as we always say, like racing is hard. So hard. It's so dumb. The people can be awesome and it's exciting and it's fun, but like, it's hard. And just as like a general life lesson, like we generally don't, we're not passionate about things that are easy. Like we're passionate about the things that we have to bust our ass to get to and to do. And it's hard, but we have a good time, but it's hard. (laughs) It's like, it's, I just think it's a good lesson. Like you can't like things in life worth doing like our, it's, it's a struggle. It's good, but it's hard. Yeah, and kid, kids watching their parents struggle is kind of a unique thing. If you, um, I grew up with, you know, friends whose parents like went to work and watch TV, and they didn't really have an an out, or at least you know, for for what we saw as kids, didn't have an outside passion. I think they struggled that because life itself was enough struggle that uh, they didn't need to go find something else to be hard. And, you know, that was different from even, 
you know, my parents both had their, their own hobbies. My mom trained dogs and my dad hunted and I hunted with my dad, but you know, both hobbies that like you could, like you were necessarily bad at, right? Like trying to teach a dog to do things. Dogs are stupid and will definitely make you look and feel dumb while you're trying to do that. And, you know, you know, being in the woods and, and trying to chase around deer that really don't want to be found is hard fundamentally. And so it was always weird to me to hang out or to, to be with my friends, parents that I felt like didn't do anything hard. Um, and they certainly had a different childhood than me than, than watching my parents struggle at things. Um, and I've never been shy about struggling in front of my kids and saying, this is really hard. And I don't know if I want to do it anymore, but I'm going to. So for you, Adam, and like this can totally be taken as me making fun of you and maybe a person. That's fine. I expected that that to happen. But like when, when you go to the track with your family, like you're not there to drive. No. Like you are there to help commentate. Sometimes you're there to help create, create record content. Like you're, you're, you're not there as a competitive driver. So what, like, what are your hopes that your kids, uh, take away from your time and your experiences at the track? I don't know what I, if I, if there's anything I specifically hope, uh, for him to get out of it so far. I mean, it's hard to say with her cause she's so small. So I just kind of think about what he gets out of it. Uh, but I mean, part of it, maybe I've caught myself sometimes thinking like worried about like, would I like, even before I had my kid, um, I would think about like, would I, would five-year-old me think 34-year-old me is cool? And maybe I need to do more things that five-year-old me would have thought was cool. <laughs> you maybe know, that's true. And so, yeah, well, no, I think know, that's val- like going, I think going thought. to work every day and like, you know, I have a really dumb job. I love my job. I love what I do and I love who I work with and stuff like that. But like my job is not for everybody. And uh, some of the hours I work are not for everybody. And some of the physical labor that, that I have to do is not for everybody. Um, But I think it's kind of cool. But if I just went to work and then came home and sat on my couch and played a video game or watched TV and then went to bed and woke up and do, did that again the next day, like that's not that cool. And maybe I shouldn't worry about that, but also life's too short to not do anything. And I can't just like right now I'm not in a financial position where driving is, is really an option for me. And so I've found other things I can do at the racetrack. And I think that that is kind of important to show my son that just because I'm not there doing uh, what everyone else is doing, doesn't mean I can't be there. and doesn't mean I'm not important in somebody's day to day there, you know, yep. um, this this summer i have an opportunity that i'm going to try and take up uh running crew chief position for robbie and his wrl venture 
And uh, it's something that I really, really look forward to getting to do. And, you know, just because I'm not driving doesn't mean I'm any less important at the racetrack, which I think is something that more people need to think about. That's actually the thing I wanted to kind of talk with you guys about um, was, was the, the people that go to the track and don't drive. Uh, those people are probably way more important than anybody gives them credit for. Um, yeah, even we, we talked with Ethan. Um, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, he's a really good example of that. And especially at the time, this was before he went to work for the winning formula, and he literally just shows up in his ratty ass Civic that he still <laughs> drives with a bunch of his own tools drove hours like slept in the car like just to wrench on other people's cars like it objectively like if you look at on from the perspective of the drivers like made no sense just no sense but yet if you look at the number of people who are at a track event like grid life like the the ratio of drivers to everybody else is lopsided and not towards the drivers. Like the amount of uh, crew chiefs, like you said, mechanics. I think grid life's in a special, yes, a special situation for that. I think, um, like if you went to a regular SCCA or NASA club day, I don't think it's quite like that. No, but but you go to like a professional level event and it's worse oh yeah absolutely like even ignore the spectators like pretend they're not even there like you've got family you've got a bunch of crew you've got a bunch of executives you've got your marshals you've got your corner safety workers you've got race control just people on people on people on people just to watch the lead singers basically get all the attention or you know the uh whatever metaphor you want to use for the the front man front woman front people well i just one thing i always kind of find interesting and and i've heard it uh here before because i do listen to track walking podcasts thank you very much uh unlike seth there'll be a quiz later it's okay Um, and, and one thing that I, I find interesting and, uh, as a guy who goes to the track, but does not go there to drive, um, and you've given Seth a ton of crap for this, yes, uh, God. you know, he's, he wants, he's going to one lap. He's, uh, riding with Bob, who's be quickly becoming one of my favorite people, even though I don't, I've never actually been introduced to him face to face. Um, but <laughs> He's a good guy. Uh, yeah, I like Bob. Um, every every time that that conversation comes up, the first thing Scott does is go to Seth. Why won't you just drive? And what I don't understand is why can't he just go to the racetrack and not drive? I don't understand why there's such pressure. Uh, and honestly, I think that level of pressure makes me want to do it less. Why do you value me less, Scott? Why is that? I to- totally a valid criticism. I think my my only caveat here would be to say is I think I'm seeing something in Seth that he doesn't realize yet. And I could be wrong. 
I could sure. be wrong, but I think he I think he needs to go do some competitive driving again just to know if it's something he wants to do again or not. I think you need to go to a weekend when I'm racing motorcycles and realize I that I do more race laps a year than you do. I know. <laughs> I know you do. Like a ton more, my <laughs> bad. <laughs> I'm not even talking practice laps. I mean race laps. I do more I race laps a year than you do. I'm just saying. I probably does more in an endurance weekend. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. than you do in a year, dude. We yeah. But, I mean, we get the fact we get four races a weekend is amazingly huge. Like in in the realm of motorsports, like competitive right. motorsports, but like drop in the bucket. Yeah. No. Though it, no, it it's a it's a valid question and something I deal with. So. On, unlike you, like I came from driving, like, like that's, yeah. I'm, I'm at the track because I started driving at the track. I did the normal thing where I went, you know, autocross and somebody said you should do track stuff. And I went to a track day and I, you know, got into track days and then did time trial and then did one lap. And, and so a normal progression for me would be to, like what everybody thinks is now, okay, cool. I should be building a, you know, I should be caging something and, and driving with Scott and Brian and, and the rest of that crew. Time checks cooler anyway. Uh, maybe. Oh. <laughs> we can oh, talk about that. We're going to talk about that, about that. For a while. Um, <laughs> but, but I don't, I don't really, I'm not sure I felt that the need for that progression prior to me finding motorcycles. Like I was struggling with that prior to finding motorcycles. Um, I had, you know, I had done, done time trial in NASA. I've done basically a full season of time trial in NASA and in sort of gone, I don't think this is as fun as I thought it would be. Um, and Scott and I actually need to do a whole show that the idea that, that what happens when you have the thing that you once dreamed about, but now you don't want it anymore. Well, so um, I've, I've driven a little bit. I, I did a full time trial national tour with SCCA uh, okay. event uh, at Heartland Park, and then this year at Heartland Park, um, Matt Williams' constant peer pressure finally got me out in his fit, and I did two laps, and I was like, "Man, I could, I'm, I'm done. I don't, I don't want to do this. I, this is not, and I don't know why. And like, honestly, it was hard for me going home because it's like, I, you know, for the for quite a few years, I've been telling myself that the only reason I'm not on track is because I just don't have the financial uh, backing to do it because I have, I'm a single income family with two kids at home and a wife who does not work currently because of some health issues. And so it's just not like financially responsible or feasible for me to do it. And so instead I tried to find other avenues for me to still be able to go and do things with dumb things with my friends at the racetrack. And then I get out on the track and I'm like, man, I, I completely, honestly, like when I get off, when I got out of the car, I was like, yeah, I don't like, I didn't get out of the car and think, man, I need to do that again. I voluntarily pulled the car into pit lane and shut it down and said, I think this is enough for me for now. I don't want to keep doing this. All right. So I'm, I'm okay with just, hanging out and like honestly i enjoy doing the live stream stuff that i did last year more than the time i spent on track even 
with as short as it may have been. So it's it's those moments I'm fascinated by because it sounds like you not only like got to meet yourself <laughs> in in that moment, but you realized yeah. what you had been telling yourself as well, and you realized that those two things were different. Like you realize that yeah, I've been probably. telling myself, I've been lying to myself saying that, hey, it's only the financial things. Otherwise, yeah, I totally would do this, guys. Yeah, definitely. Let's chest bump and do all sorts of dude stuff. But Man things. Right. But when sure. really it was, I don't care about what you guys care about doing anymore. I'm actually okay and I actually prefer to do what I'm doing now, but it's different. Yeah, but I still think that uh, it's important. Yeah, and like <clears throat> it, it's actually really, really, really frustrating to go to those events and have people constantly hounding you to do the thing that I don't really want to do that badly. Yeah, yeah. I will agree with that. I will a hundred percent agree with everybody going. Come on, go drive. Come on, come on, it's, come on. It, and I'm like, no, I don't want to. Sometimes I have a bit of a short fuse and for whatever reason, that thing, especially when it has come from 15 people all weekend really can trigger that. And then I'm a guy I don't want to be. It's a good, so, it's a good perspective for me to keep. So I, my, my problem with I'm that finding is, myself on the outside of this trio right now. And it's like, okay, it's, no, gonna, it's a good perspective. Outside, so, so my issue with that is, is I don't know if this is just me, but there's a everybody questions why I don't want to do it, and and I the implication I don't know if this is overt or I'm seeing it, and I can't remember if somebody said it is is like are you scared to do it? Like that's what I see people doing. Like are you are you scared to go drive a car that's on a, track now? That's a masculine bro thing, that right? And that's the other that's the other side of it is there's is. You know, are you not brave enough to do this because you're not manly enough to do cars anymore? Oh, God, I want to punch somebody with this. But I don't, I don't know that I've ever felt that someone's that's, questioned that's what my ask masculinity you. necessarily. Okay. I mean, I, honestly, if someone did, I probably wouldn't even notice because that stuff goes in one ear and out the other so quickly <laughs> for me because I just, uh, I've kind of just tuned it out and don't. I don't know. I work in an industry where, where the macho masculine thing is very normal. I, you know, I work, uh, construction and, and specifically I work with a lot of linemen, uh, and stuff like that. So that's, I don't know. And, and I'm not that guy or don't tend to be normally anyway. And so I, I just, I don't know. I, I guess I've never felt like that necessarily. Right. And in my, in my normal world as a stay-at-home dad, especially when my kids were young and hanging out with a bunch of preschool moms, like when I went to the track, it was just like jumping into a swimming pool of testosterone and dudes and bro and all that stuff compared to my regular life. Um, so I think I was probably a way more sensitive to that um, because it was way different than my normal life. I, didn't, I don't hang out with linemen in my normal life. <laughs> yeah. So you've you've been called the international voice of time attack. Yes, this is a this is a whole thing that I'm not like super in love with. Um, I'm just like report, I'm just reporting what people have said, Adam. So um, can, can I can I 
I've never actually talked about this on my show, so but that's fine. Can I can I say what I why I don't love this title that was bestowed upon me? Go for it. I think that there is a group of people, or maybe I don't even know if there's enough of them to be called a group. I'm gonna leave names out of it though, uh, who don't know that it's a joke and think because there's a Instagram account made with that and my name is on that Instagram account, even though I didn't make it and honestly don't even know who did that there are some people who might think that this has gone to my head and that I think that I'm some sort of important person Jeez. and I'm not You've really jumped the jumped the shark at this point, man. It's like, it's like a joke. That's like come back around three times. Oh God. It's, it's gotten away. My, my fan group has, is very good at taking something and uh, running with it in a way that nobody ever saw coming. That's why there is a fat head of me and there are multiple Instagram accounts that I, that have my name on them that I didn't make. And people mail us different kinds of water and have been doing it for five years now. Uh, It's yeah. It's a thing. It's a weird thing. And, but you do, do announcing for yes so some, some yeah, last streams. year and, and probably this year although i haven't had any confirmed uh like i haven't made a commitment on it yet but uh i did every except for road america i did every event that live or that grid life live streamed i did all of the time attack announcing w- alongside kyle and you Hire. are a flag waving supporter and fan of time attack uh time attack is my my first road racing love for sure um that is not to say i am not a gltc fan because i'm probably a bigger gltc fan than most people think i am and probably a bigger gltc fan than most other people are um but yes time attack is my my bread and butter. Uh, it's the thing I love the most when it comes to road course type racing. Um, and yeah, why, why time attack? Like, why is that the thing that, because that's why you go to the track and announce. That's what brought me to the track to begin with. Yes. Um, so <clears throat> when I look at, most like SCCA and NASA club racing, especially classes like spec Miata, uh, spec E30, spec Corvette, whatever. Um, I can't find any level of interest in that at all for me. Um, because, and I think maybe this plays back into my drag racing. Um, you know, I, I, I grew up loving, uh, the diversity that cars um, allow, you know, even, even when there's cars that are um, competing in the same classes, but are two drastically different th- versions. And so when, <clears throat> like, I, I don't, I, I find much less interest in who's the better driver uh, and I think that sometimes that even gets to be uh, toxic to, uh, to a point even uh, for some people. And I, I find the build to be much more interesting to me 
um, and the way that people go about solving different problems uh, with their chassis or their rule restrictions or whatever. Um, and for some reason, I really get excited when car has some sort of giant wing on the back and giant diffuser panels underneath it and a splitter that I could use as a picnic table and turbos hanging out of the hood or wherever they are like that sort of thing just gets me excited. It's cool. Yeah. And, um, I love a good story and I think that time attack, um, plays that better plays into that better for me at least um because you can be a really good driver in a mediocre car in most series uh and still come out on top at the end of the day um but in time attack you not only do you have to have a really good car but you usually have to be a pretty good driver and a whole bunch of other things that are completely out of your control has to go your way. And um, for some reason, just hunting that, that one perfect situation is fascinating to me uh, more so than um, 30 guys out there just trying to push each other out of the way and uh, get to the finish line first. Yeah. I mean, time attack is one of those sports that you can never win. Like, you can have the fastest of the weekend. You can even reset a new record, but like you didn't beat time attack. <laughs> like you didn't walk away and be like, all right, I won that. I won road America. Like that's it done because somebody's going to come back and somebody's going to go faster. Somebody's going to do it better. Yeah. Um, listening to Mike, Lewin and Daniel O'Donnell and those guys on their pro awesome podcast and listening to them talk about uh, running that Evo in years past and only feeling like they ever got 100% of the car and the track in maybe two events out of the dozens they've ran their Nutty. entire time. Nutty. For, for some reason that's fascinating to me and like watching James Houghton talk about what time attack was to him at road Atlanta years ago on the gears and gasoline video mm -hmm. that they, back when they used to do event recaps, uh, for grid life, um, and listening to him talk about like, you know, the time attack, isn't just something he does on the weekend. It's something it's, it's what he lives. It's what he eats and sleeps and breathes. And if he's awake, he's thinking about time attack. And if he's sleeping, he's dreaming about time attack. And, um, I know like listening to him talk about how he went to road to Atlanta and he reset the grid life record. And he, um, and he was the fastest person there that weekend, but Will's time attack record from a previous global time attack event was still faster. So in his opinion, that weekend was a complete and utter failure. For some reason that just gets me. Yeah. I mean, you talk about struggle. Yeah. I mean, those, those cars, especially unlimited, like the super high strung time attack cars, like you don't, you don't get two hot laps in a row. You get, you yeah. get a warm up and you get right now 
you get like three quarters of a hot lap and then the rest of that is just hoping that the engine doesn't weld itself together so you can finish and that's that's part of Which what is, i i really enjoy about the one lap of america and something i i think you might enjoy as well because a lot of these like for a lot of us normies like we don't get to go test there <laughs> most of the time the first time we're on track is on a scooter an yeah. hour before we get on track <laughs> and we get like a sight lap and that's it and then you go and how you do is how you do it's that's it yeah um one lap's interesting to me because i can't decide if i think it's the coolest thing in the world or the dumbest thing in the world which i think is probably how everyone who competes in it feels about it too <laughs> it's both of those things yeah, yeah simultaneously. i think that's true <laughs> it's simultaneously both for sure um but like when i look at at most of the front runners and at one lap like uh the car that tomo ran this year uh was a mostly stock zr1 c7 corvette like yeah there was some changes to it but not a ton nope. um so that car like uh, i struggle to find all that interesting uh andy hollis like i'd rather see him out there in a crx honestly um i'd walk right by his mclaren to go look at super k because that car is infinitely more interesting to me i get it yeah except when i'm on the event like the cars i care least about are like the first three run groups in general i think um, that's probably because you know the people in the back half uh by now i know the people in the front half too well, that's i mean fair. i don't only know the slow guys <laughs> that's fair <laughs> i know them a lot better than i know the fast guys but yeah but no, like, like I find, I find the struggle and the building of the cars, and you know, like you say, like a McLaren going fast is, is neat. It's expected, though. Right, but when, but when Nick Kors had the the supercharged Civic there, and we were all like, you know, and Scott will attest to this. There's always somebody like there will be three or four people that show up, and you're like, all right, that guy's gonna explode, and that guy's gonna explode, and that guy's gonna explode. Yeah, and. And you just wanted you just waiting to see how long it takes. And and when guys like like Nick showed up with the the supercharged Civic, you were like definitely going to blow up mm, by it's day probably three. a transmission because it's yeah, a K it was, series, so he's going to yeah. put a third gear in it three times this week. Right, and so you knew you knew that Nick was going to blow up the car, and then like he made it through day two, it was just fine, and then he made it through day three, and wow. then you got to know him. Wow, he's still here. Yeah, and. And then day four, and you were like, you know, sitting down and, and eating lunch with him and talking to him, and he was still there. And and that's the fascinating part of One Lap for me is is those mid-pack cars, those cars that have been home-built, like surviving the week. But um, that story is hard to convey to me who's not there. Oh, yeah. that And yeah, that's why it's, it's such a um, dumb event. Like, people are like, oh, dude, I want to follow along. I'm like, no, you don't. It's dumb. Like unless you, yeah. unless you're there, it makes no sense. And um, and why after as many times as we have done it, I come home and my friends and family will ask me how it was, and I'll just tell them, yeah, it was good. And like that's it because you can't can't you, explain it. No, you can't explain it for the exact reason. I mean, there are people of all different walks of life, all different theories on like the right car to bring or the right tires to put on it. Like you said, I mean, there's a ton of stock GT cars. 
a lot of them at the front because they're reliable and they're fast. And on the one lap, that's kind of a great <laughs> combination if you just want to go up the middle. But then there's other idiots, no names named, who bring like race cars on the one lap or time attack cars or like all these crazy nutty like replicas that have showed up like that's like that person's taking the path less traveled. Or you when right. we watch the the big bad wolf like try to destroy oh itself. What an insane well, human it did, being. It did eat itself every day. Every day. And and then you watched them get out of the car and they were so like they were so tired. And they were always so tired. And that was not a case of like, like sometimes you're like, oh, the car is definitely going to break. I thought we had, you were going to have two broken humans. I was like, they cannot live through this week. And yeah. Um, and like watching, I mean, even still like this, especially what was the really hot year, Scott? Was that the first year? Yes. Okay. The first year, Scott and Becky, yes. flat puppies in a Miata with no AC. And I That's thought bad. they were going to die. That's bad. Like <laughs> they would drive by us because we're driving like fairly normal speeds. And Scott and Becky are driving by us at like 90 with the windows down. And like you could see them sweating at 90 miles an hour. And it was like, it's like th- those two are going to die. I don't know what's happening. Um, Katie, Katie would have arranged a ride home and I would have <laughs> never seen her again. I would have they're like halfway through the week. I mean, you got something special there, Scott. I hope you know that. <laughs> Sheer insanity is what it is. And so, yeah, one one lap is, if you look at it as an event that's about going fast around a track in a car, yeah. you, like, you completely miss it. And I think time attack is the same way, too. Like be, Absolutely. Because I don't follow, I sort of follow time attack, but not that close. And so I'm just like, eh, fast cars. And when my daughter came out, she's like, cool, that looks like a really fast track day. I'm like, I mean, yeah, like if you don't know what's going on and you're watching it, it looks a lot like watching a really fast track day um, with cars that break all the time. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's hard to, to convince somebody that's cool if they don't really know what's going on. Well, and Adam, you've, you've talked about this. Like, how do you make Time Attack interesting for either the people on site or people watching the live stream. Well, time attack is just as interesting off, if not more interesting off track than it is on. And so I think like, you know, if you flip through my Instagram or my Facebook feed, 85% of it is time attack related because that, you know, I follow all of the drivers that I can get and I've put out on more than one occasion on my, on the show and on my own social media is like, if you're driving, reach out to me, talk to me about your car. And then during the weekend, talk to me about what you're going through. Cause that stuff's interesting to me. And if it's interesting to me, it's probably interesting to the people tuning into the broadcast. And so that story needs to be told because, you know, when you watch, um, when you watch a guy out there in an 87 cutlass and you see what he's doing, like, yeah, he's, he looks like he's going pretty fast, but then you see that that guy has spends four hours a night, every single night of the week in his garage in Northern Minnesota, 
probably fighting frostbite, building his own control arms and trying to figure out how to shoehorn a completely different steering rack into that car. Yeah. That suddenly becomes infinitely more interesting to me. And I think it's I think it's hard to like do it justice without having a much larger media budget. Like you need to have interviewers roaming the paddock and roaming the garages you need to have pre-ranged interviews before the weekend um so that while cars are on track you can have this little picture in picture talking and showing what they've done and you can see it on track to see what it's trying to do right now but that's like the budget for that i mean the budget for live streams high but the budget for something like that's just I mean, off the charts yeah it's i mean you need i get so frustrated after every grid life weekend when we're driving home and i'm flipping through facebook and i see people commenting on like the scca members facebook group like why doesn't the scca do this at every club race we have people you don't know what goes into that there's 30 people there whose full-time job 12 hours a day is running that live stream that and you know, that's a, another situation, kind of like what we talked about with the drivers versus their crew. Like, yeah, Kyle and I are the people who are on the screen, but we are in no way, shape or form, even the tip of the iceberg as to the number of people involved in that, that in putting that together. Yes. So yep. it's crazy. The scale that the live stream is that you don't see if you're not looking for it. And the people in timing and scoring and the people making the food and the people in merch and the people doing registration and the people do pouring over through data. It's just, and the it's yeah. Drivers don't matter, Scott. That's where we're at. They just pay for the events. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just need your money. I appreciate that, Scott. <laughs> you give me something to do on a weekend. You're, you're welcome. Stop by anytime. So what what else is on your list of things you uh, really want? That really covers mostly what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk a little bit about the kid thing because I, you know, I don't get it. All of my friends are childless and probably will stay that way until they die. Uh, So I don't get to talk about bringing my kid to the track with people who understand that very often because Robbie's never going to have kids. Dalton shouldn't have kids. Uh, you know, like it's just, I don't, most of my friends are childless and well, that's probably how it's going to stay. Well, and I think what's been interesting for me since I've been affiliated with grid life is like the number of families and kids that have been coming increase every year. And I think that is not only encouraging for me, like just like for the future of the sport sort of attitude, but like. I think it also necessarily changes the attitudes of people when there are kids around. Um, I have a, a fun, a little story from road America that happened to me this year that I think uh, I want every driver who's listening to this to think about every time they go to the racetrack. Um, <clears throat> my son and I were standing right in front of, pit lane as group a was rolling out on what was going to be the last time attack session of the weekend and ferris uh was obviously going after 
some insane and dumb time that he was going after. He ended up with like a 204 and change, which is it's fast. Unbelievably it's fast. quick for a car built in a garage. But um when we were when we were standing there and I pointed at Ferris and his car while holding my son in my hand and uh Ferris waved at my kid and Logan doesn't know that I know Ferris and that I talk to him at every event we go to and that, you know, he just sees that that guy is in the race car. And so he's a race car driver and he's the coolest thing in the world in that moment. And the fact that he just waved at my five-year-old kid was the best thing that happened to him that weekend. And I think that is something that everyone should remember when they are at the racetrack. Like, Something as simple as just a hand wave as he was pulling out of pit lane at 30 miles an hour made my kids so happy. We've we've talked about like the invisible people or the minorities in the track and everything like that. But I remember we mentioned it once a long time ago, but like kids are usually worse, like a lot of dude bros in the paddock like are allergic to kids and will go especially at a grid life event <laughs> i think that's yeah. probably worse than the most any other you'd event be, you'd be surprised we're so we were at coda like basically two weekends apart helping brian with with pressures and temperatures and one was just a track austin track weekend thing and the next one was grid life and they they had about the same number of cars between the two weekends but the weekend we were there for just the track weekend, my daughter was the only person there probably who was a minor on, at the facility. You know, one of like four women we saw there all day. There was no children there at the whole thing. And then you went to grid life two weeks later and the place was swarming with women and children. And and I know if, if you just go through the paddock, you go, oh, it's a bunch of dude bros who don't like kids except the environment around there has got so many kids around that it is massively different than a regular track weekend. I think super lap and festivals kind of have that in common with each other. But if you go to like, uh, NCM, which is, you know, a pretty well attended event for a grid life, but not, uh, a spectacle. There's no drifting. There's almost no spectators. That's basically the worst spectator track in the country. <laughs> Pretty bad. Uh, it's so bad. Um, <laughs> which I understand why it is the way it is, and that's right. fine. But uh, you know, I think that <clears throat> I'm not. You know, I don't think that there's people in the paddock at that event who are like, ah, children, get it away from me. You know, but I I do think he's less. Um, notice or you know he's he's there's way less children at that event and and way less uh you know significant others um at those events than there are at something like super lap or a festival event that's specifically built around the idea of being a show and and a spectacle and i remember before road america this was going to be like the first full weekend my son came to the track um he had been at like part of a day prior to that but this was going to be like his first full weekend 
uh, turned out to be a great weekend for him to be there. Um, but beforehand, like I was kind of nervous about this because my son is like one of the sweetest, most caring people ever. And like, I'm kind of protective of him <laughs> for that. And yeah, so I, I got it. on track Midwest and I said, Hey, my son's coming for the weekend for the first time. Don't be a dick. <laughs> like say hi be prepared to talk about Pokemon or have your fam- favorite dinosaur on lock. And if you see me walking around with my son, you better ask him what his favorite dinosaur or Pokemon is at the time. And it's like, and it worked. And I think partially because I like made a huge thing and it turned into a huge weird thing that branched well, out. So I, yeah, I have two comments about that myself. Um, my kid, my my wife and kid were not coming to that event prior to your post. And then you made that post and 20 other people commented on there how they were also bringing their kids. And I text Katie mid workday and said, hey, it looks like there's a bunch of people who are going to bring their kids to Road America. Why don't you guys come with too? And we like literally on the fly just decided, you know what? Screw it they're they're coming too and had you not made that post they wouldn't have been there but there were a couple people who made other posts that i really wanted to just go and like get in a physical altercation with because it was completely unnecessary and so rude and i couldn't believe that those comments were made one one was a friend of mine and i know his heart was in the right place but like had you not know it but there were several others but I will say, too, like for Road America, one, it's a gorgeous place with like all the trails and like wandering areas you could possibly want Two, like on up towards turn one in in paddock is one of the best hills to roll down. These are facts. <laughs> and and my kid did that like for a solid hour and a half with like four other kids that he couldn't tell me their name so he's like yeah they're my friends because we went and rolled down this awesome hill together yeah but now it's the 2022 season and he's way more likely to want to come with you yes and that's important yeah and actually like like one of the unexpected things is like like we'd gotten there pretty late friday night um so you know none of us really got a decent amount of sleep friday and so you know, I got him set up in our new trailer uh, at a decent hour on Saturday. But, of course, like it was loud and things were going on. So he uh, he gets up and we're hanging out and all of a sudden like it's awards time. And that's when we got the 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 trophy. And because of that, like I was able to have Becky and my son in the photo with me for that. And it's like that's absolutely getting hung somewhere for sure it should like like you said like family family pictures at the racetrack yeah yeah we have i mean that's almost all of my family pictures is in front of a car at a car show or a car at a drag strip or you know load up day for us to make some dumb trip across the country to go to the lamest destination locations you could possibly imagine because that's where they put racetracks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's also true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, 
none of us drive uh, street circuits like in Monaco and at well, all. The- yeah, drag strips are a special breed of <sighs> terrible places. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we can. There's there's layers of problems going on there. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, where can where can people hear you talk more and uh, see silly pictures and posts from you? Uh, um, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all of the normal places. Uh, Ten tenths podcast. Uh, my personal Instagram is uh, a long running joke as well. Soccer datum. So you can you can do what you want with that. Uh, I don't I don't post as often as I want to, but it, I find myself forgetting about it all the time. But I'll make posts about dumb cars that I see or find or my dad buys uh, pretty regularly. So, uh, yeah, anywhere you can find podcasts or YouTube. We are at Track Walking Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Track Walking Chats on Facebook is the group. Um, yeah, you know. If you want to check us out feel free if not i don't know it's up to you you're an adult make a decision so anyway but thanks for uh thanks for hanging out how thanks what, thanks for calling us out and making us bring you on the show yeah and uh how, how's it feel to be done with this like at a reasonable time i mean my wife's still mad at me so it's fine <laughs> because you're on a podcast i get it that's fair Well, we won't piss her off any more than we need to. I'm Scott. I'm Seth. And I'm Adam. This is Track Walking. Take care. We'll talk to you next week.